Hello, this is Robert Wagner, and you are listening to TV Confidential. It was true that the assassin took careful aim at the President of the United States. It was true that at the precise moment the assassin waited for, the trigger was pulled. And it was true the President was killed. But it was also true that the assassin missed his target, for he wanted John Kennedy to die. And that he was unable to do. For no man could take away years of lightning with a single day of drums. And Robert, with a reminder that we'll play more of our conversation with Marty Croft later on in this hour. If you stay tuned for that, in the meantime, on the line with us right now is Oscar winning and Emmy Award winning director, producer, screenwriter, and playwright George Stevens. Jr., George Stevens Jr., son of Academy Award-winning director George Stevens and the founder of the American Film Institute and the Kennedy Center honors George's memoir, My Place in the Sun, Life in the Golden Age of Hollywood and Washington, shares George's lifelong passion for film and his commitment to the performing arts. It also provides insight into Hollywood's golden age and an insider's account of life in Washington. As George mentioned earlier in our conversation, he collaborated with at least eight U.S. presidents as well as power brokers, media moguls, and social activists both in Hollywood and Washington. My Place in the Sun also includes great stories of George's friendships with the likes of Elizabeth Taylor, James Dean, Robert Wagner, and Sidney Poitier, plus his experience working behind the scenes of four of his father's most famous films, Shane, The Diary of Anne Frank, Giant, and A Place in the Sun. My Place in the Sun, available wherever books are sold through University Press of Kentucky and Amazon.com. Before we went to break, George was telling us the story of his very, very first encounter with President John F. Kennedy, which occurred shortly after he moved to Washington in 1961 to work with the great broadcaster Edward R. Murrow and the role George played in finding the right director for PT-109, the biopic of John F. Kennedy starring Cliff Robertson. And um, just to give you an idea of that chapter, it, it has to do with George recognizing that the director who had the original director who had been assigned to that movie was not the right director for the type of movie that they were going to make. And it took a little convincing on George's part before that happened. And there are a couple of other people in the mix. And one of the reasons why that chapter interests me particularly, George, is because the man who directed PT-109, Leslie Martinson, was a man I who I, I got to know a little bit before he passed. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it was uh, that was that was an interesting tale, and you know that I've, I've had this experience where I've, I've lived in Washington, but been bi-coastal. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, since the '60s, I've known and worked with uh, every president. And uh, because of the Kennedy Center Honors and Christmas in Washington, another show that I did, and 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 in some cases for political events, and uh, and you know I'm able to write about all those, and they're just I, I think uh, Ed will agree they they really give an insight into what the more interesting aspects of life in Washington are like. Yes, My Place in the Sun, available wherever books are sold. You mentioned you've worked with or have, or at least have met 
eight presidents in your life and career. You've been in the White House many, many times. For those who've never been inside the White House, what's it like? I remember the first time I went to the White House, and I have been there now, gosh, I mean, well over a hundred or more times. It was at this occasion that I we were just talking about when President Kennedy, the making of PT-109, and I, Pierre Salinger, the press secretary, had invited me to come to a meeting about that topic. And, it, and, and I, our offices, the USIA, were at 1776 Pennsylvania Avenue, and I walked down to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and showed my identification at the gate, much less security than there is now. <laughs> and, I, and I walked in, and there's that curved driveway that goes up to the front entrance of the house, and you go straight to the west wing where the offices are. And I, as I was heading, it was a beautiful spring day, and trees were in bloom, and it's lovely. And as I was walking, I heard the gate behind me open, and I heard a car drive in. Well, I didn't want to be a tourist. I was regarding myself as a new figure in the administration. But I sneaked a look as the car went by, and it was a black limousine. And and there there was a, a little horse in the back, a toy horse for Caroline. <laughs> and it, it was just an indelible memory, a rocking horse of my first time at the White House. And it is, when you walk into that place, no matter how many times you've been there, it, it, you know, it's not a, a, a great building. It's a relatively small building. But it just has such majesty and and speaks of such history. How did you get on Edward R. Murrow's radar? I was uh, working at 20th Century Fox. My father and I had just finished the Diary of Anne Frank, and we're about to start the greatest story ever told. I was I'd been his associate producer and directed the location scenes on the Diary of Anne Frank, and I was now like his partner. Uh, and Kennedy was elected. And a friend of mine and I read that Jackie Kennedy was going to India. So we wrote a letter to Ed Murrow saying that we'd like to make a pro bono documentary about Jackie's trip to India for showing overseas. We thought it would be a great statement of you know, her interest in other countries to show around the world. We hadn't heard from Murrow, but he was coming out to speak to the motion picture industry. So we sent him a message no email then, I guess it was a letter, saying, and he was going to speak at Chasen's with all the moguls and directors, we'd like to make some, meet some younger people. And uh, lo and behold, Murrow said he would, and at Friday afternoon, we got the director's lobby of the director's guild, a nice room, and sat down with Ed Murrow, uh, Paul Newman and Stuart Stern and Richard Zanuck and about a dozen of us. Wonderful conversation with Murrow. We talked about what younger people thought uh, the USIA might be doing. The next day, I get a call from Samuel Goldwyn Jr., who says, I was single, up living up in the Hollywood Hills, and said, Murrow uh, is staying with my father, and he would like, wonders if you could come by on Sunday and talk with him. And I said, of course, I'd love to meet Ed Murrow. But then I said, well, what, what's it about? And he said, he's looking somebody for, to run the motion picture 
service at USIA make, making the documentary films. And I said, Sam, I'm like my father's partner now. I just couldn't leave. So please tell Mr. Murrow that I wouldn't want to waste his time. And Sam said he understood. Uh, 20 minutes later, the phone rings. Sam Goldman says, uh, Junior, uh, Ed says you won't be wasting his time. <laughs> so Murrow and I met, and it was so impressed sitting with him. And he, he essentially offered me the job, and I gave him the same explanation. But it was two or three days later, and I had not mentioned this to my father. And we were walking to lunch at the 20th Century Fox lot, and it came up. And he looked at me and he said, I think you may have to do it. And it, it was a father, to his own disadvantage, seeing that this provided an opportunity for his son to get out from under, though it was not a shadow, but his father's reputation. And, uh, and basically, I went to see Murrow and decided to do it. That's another example of how your father was able to see outside himself and see the big picture. Yes, it is. It's, uh, as I say, it's, it, this is in, in part a, a story of fathers and sons. My Place in the Sun is a wonderful story of fathers and sons. Uh, George Stevens, Jr. Uh, uh, is the author of My Place in the Sun, available wherever books are sold, as well as Amazon.com. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. What are some of the things you learned from Edward R. Murrow? Integrity. I mean, I, I admired, whether I learned it or not, I admired <laughs> his, in, his, in, his integrity. I would say you learned integrity. Oh, well, thank you. He had humor to stand up for what you believe in. And he was, I, I'll give you a, one example of Ed Murrow's insight. Uh, to, after John F. Kennedy, the Friday he was assassinated, the world went dark for so many of us. Mm -hmm. uh, and but I had a job. I was and I had to think about what I'm supposed to do at USIA, um, with, with you know, with the loss of the president. Mm -hmm. And I had I came up with an idea, um, and I asked to see Murrow on the next day, and. Uh, I went into his office, and and he never sat behind his desk. When uh, you came in, he went over and sat on the sofa, and I sat opposite him, and he handed me a letter. And, and we had made a film called The Five Cities of June, mm -hmm. which nominated for an Academy Award uh, uh, that was in part about President Kennedy's famous trip to Berlin, where he made the Ben Ein Berliner speech at the Berlin Wall. He handed me this letter, and it said, Dear Ed, we're happy to know that you've been in the, Ed had been in the hospital, that you're coming back to work. I saw the five cities of June last night. I think it's the best government documentary I've seen. Uh, looking forward to seeing you soon. Signed, John Kennedy on White House stationery. Well, to be holding that letter that was in his hands eight days before, was very moving. Wow. Um, and, it, and, and I handed the letter back to Ed, and Ed pushed the letter back to me. He said, you made the movie, you keep the letter. Yeah. And I have that letter. 
And then I told him what I wanted to do, which to make a, USIA's first feature-length film, which ended up being called John F. Kennedy, Years of Lightning, Day of Drums. We had 35-millimeter color film in many countries to film the reaction to the funeral, would film the four days of the funeral, and weave within it the um, scenes of Kennedy's presidency. Um, and I made this pitch and told him how much it was going to cost, which was, I think, $250,000, which was a huge amount at that time. And Ed was just silent for a minute. And he looked at me and he said, first, make a 10-minute film about Lyndon Johnson. Then you can make your Kennedy film. And Ed understood that our job was to tell the world that a peaceful transition had been made mm -hmm. and the United States continues strong. Um, and uh, it was just the older man with a lot more insight than the younger man. And we made both pictures, and they both were very effective. This is apropos of nothing, but when I was a kid growing up in San Francisco, one of the local stations had you know, what they called the eight o'clock movie. It was, it was counter programming in case there was nothing on the networks you wanted to watch that night. There was always a local movie on from eight to 10 on, on weeknights. And I remember one night they showed John F. Kennedy years of lightning days of drum. It's been many years since I've seen it, but that's when I first discovered that movie. Oh, how interesting. Yeah. Uh, there was a rule against USIA films being shown in this country. Mm -hmm to protect against an administration using USIA funds to propagandize the American people, uh, which was a, a fair law. Mm -hmm. uh, but the Congress was so impressed by years of lightning day of drums, they passed a resolution and it became eligible for showing in the United States and had a theatrical release and uh, is still sometimes shown on television. My Place in the Sun, available wherever books are sold, also available Amazon.com, wherever books are available online. George, you worked with, I mean, besides working with your father on at least four of his pictures, you either worked with or worked for Jack Webb, Alfred Hitchcock, and Blake Edwards at various points during your formative years as a filmmaker, all four people would be considered genius people who are able to think outside the box, as we illustrated you know, a couple of times talking about your dad. What did you learn from Jack Webb, Alfred Hitchcock, and Blake Edwards? What to you makes them singular? Well, in essence, Jack Webb, who started the Dragnet, you know, he was Sergeant Joe Friday, mm -hmm. I'd been working with my father, who had big pictures. Jack Webb, during that television series and his own movies, was tremendously efficient. Mm -hmm. he, he worked with teleprompters, and, and he also had an office. His typewriters were the new IBM typewriters. Uh, I learned a lot about style and efficiency from Jack Webb, um, and he gave me my opportunity to become a director. Hitchcock, uh, what can you say? Uh, I, actually, Joan Harrison, was an English woman, was the real producer of the Hitchcock series, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Mm -hmm. But knowing Hitchcock, if, every couple of minutes he'd say something that was had such insight into the nature 
of storytelling. Uh, and then Blake Edwards, Blake had this wonderful capacity to create humor out of drama uh, in his Peter Gunn series. So just to, to have mentors like that, just to be close to them and have something rub off is a, is a blessing. Yeah, we 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 could also add Nelson Riddle to the mix. I mean, you you I don't I don't I don't think you worked with I don't think you worked with Nelson in the recording session, but you got to know him. I, I did, and he and actually he wrote a score for a movie I produced at the AFI called America at the Movies. So I I got to know and and, and admire Nelson. George's memoir, My Place in the Sun, shares his lifelong passion for film and his commitment to performing arts. Also provides insight into the golden age of Hollywood, um, as well as uh, an account of his life and career in Washington. Uh, My Place in the Sun, available wherever books are sold. George George Stevens Jr. will be back next week for part two of our conversation. Among other things, we'll ask George how he came to found the American Film Institute. Plus, he'll share a few memories of his dear friend, Sidney Poitier, whom George first got to know on the set of the greatest story ever told, and whom George later directed about 25 years later in the Emmy Award-winning television movie, Separate But Equal. We'll play part two of our conversation with George Stevens Jr. next week on TV Confidential, My Place in the Sun, Life in the Golden Age of Hollywood, and Washington, available University Press of Kentucky, wherever books are sold. Also, Amazon.com, wherever books are sold online. Play part two of our conversation with Marty Croft, we come back on TV Confidential. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.